Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We're also on BitChute and YouTube. You find the links in the podcast description. I've got four other podcasts, The Meditation, The Crypto, Learn Polish and The Awakening, Exposing Fraud and Corruption, but with solutions, as well as being a podcasting coach. You'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. My guest today, I'm actually looking forward to this. Not only is she a speaker, an author, a coach, and a podcaster, but I thought maybe she might be up in a tree today for this conversation. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Alison Smith. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So you might let the listen. First of all, why I would say such a crazy comment, you might let the <laughs> listeners know who's Alison. Well, that's, that's part of the story, really. Back in the uh, 90s, I was, um, I still do do purchasing consultancy. And um, at the time, I was trying to convince um, you know, the business leaders that they should be listening to what we talk about. And they were getting a bit bored when we were getting excited about supplier management. And I started using gardening as a metaphor for supplier management and realized people listened to me. And uh, because they got it, they didn't want to hear all the theory about supplier management. But oh, suppliers are like plants and they might need time in the garden. And some of them end up feeling a bit like weeds. And oh, yes, I don't water my suppliers. I don't give them any attention. So suddenly they could take what they knew about gardening and apply it to supplier management. And therefore suddenly realize there was more to know. They needed to know about it. And then, and that's where your upper tree comes from, I expanded that analogy. So rather than it just being gardening to supplier management it was all of nature's landscapes to all of life and I've written a book I say can't see the wood for the trees and therefore yeah a lot of my podcasts are recorded out of nature as we use nature as a coach oh excellent yeah because I've actually listened to the one of the episodes and I, I could see it was out out in nature which it, it didn't sound that bad because you would think and is it that you have like um, a, a, a microphone, into, or you're just using the phone as is? I've literally just got my phone. Sometimes I'll have the um, earphones in, um, but I've found that sometimes that, that if I've got a scarf on, that can make it even noisier. So sometimes it's straight onto the phone, but that's all I've got. So I've just got my iPhone and uh, earphones sometimes. But... Quite often, you can still hear the sound of the stream in the background or the crows calling. Or but I, I like that. But I suppose, yeah. like, if it's really windy, then because you know, sometimes if you're doing a recording, the wind actually destroys everything. So you just don't record yes. if it's windy. I don't, I don't record, or I have found that I've got a um, like a neck warmer that will keep that the set the wind away from it. So I'll quite often put that on and just make sure that the um, yeah, microphone is under that, and be aware of uh, which direction the wind's coming from, and then make sure I face away from it when I'm talking. So yeah, <laughs> I do have to think about oh right, because there was one on St Andrews Beach where I was where I was wanting to say look, I'm walking in this direction, and now I'm going to turn round, and and that didn't quite work because yeah, one way the sound was going, and then when I turned round it wasn't, so then I had to walk back and then sort of say right I have done the walk and I'm talking to you and telling you what happened during the walk but you wouldn't have been able to hear me otherwise so yeah <laughs> but that's not most of the time it's fine 
Brilliant. And it's with Lipson, I see, that you're hosting. Was it always Lipson from the start? Yes. I mean, I have got somebody because I just sent everything to the, to, to the guy that does it for me. Um, but yeah, we went on Lipson and then that's, I mean, I think um, I could do it myself now, but it's much easier for me to, I literally get everything, put it all in the right order and then hand it over to him and then he adds in the intro and the outro and the so I just put it all in in order and add in bits and he puts it all together. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And so brilliant. I'll say, oh there's a cough at this bit and then he takes the cough out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there's different types I've come across. Some will go through the whole lot, but there's others then if you give the time stamp then it just reduces it. So you're not paying you know high cost for doing the actual editing. But it is time consuming, yeah, I know that from experience. So with the speaking, then, what's your kind of journey? I mean, like, obviously, you've done a lot, but how did you um, start off? Yeah, I think I think it was I was just always quite happy to stand up in front of groups of people. So I did it as a child. I did it. I was chairman of the area youth council, which then meant I was always standing up in front of either groups of other young people. You'd go to a, um, an area Group, group council, so then you'd be talking in with adults and then, so I think I've always been used to standing up and speaking about subjects I'm passionate about. I'm not convinced that they were always planned at that point, so it was very much more uh, Alison speaking on this and then whatever came out of my mouth came out of it. And then that happened at university as well, so again I was chairman of the, um, sort of the, the social society, but that did require quite a bit of standing up in front of groups and saying things and then I did and then that sort of followed me when I went into work so and all of that was in you know within procurement once I got to work so it was quite often being the lead you know the manager that would stand up and organize the comp the conference would you know I suppose and see it possibly um and then do various updates and I was always looking for the op the means of what metaphor can we use? Uh, how can we do it differently? How can we make it more um, enjoyable? And then I and then when I started to work for myself, then um, yeah, got into into much more training. And then every now and again, certainly during uh, lockdown, did quite a few more um, podcasts for people, webinars for people. Um, and yeah, I think since lockdown, I've just got to get back out into getting back out into the world. I think I'm still holed up at home a bit. <laughs> yeah, thankfully it's uh, changing. And with the, because I saw that your career is like a lot with the procurement and obviously you're helping others do the same. Um, when I was uh, working in Ireland, I was working for the mechanical contractor or mechanical and electric. So I was involved in a lot of uh, purchasing, you know, different things and I could see a lot of people didn't have the ability to do it. And I suppose it comes down to communication and just kind of deep respect. So I just kind of curious because no matter what you're doing, you're purchasing something and having a skill set for that. So what kind of tips could you give us in that field? Hmm. A lot, lot of people will come to me and say, oh, I, you know, I've, I've gone and outsourced my podcasting to somebody. I've, uh, you know, somebody's gone and come to me and told me they're a brilliant marketer and I'm really upset that they're not as great a marketer as I thought and I've paid money for them and I you know, don't want to do it anymore. So from a small business point of view, I'd say 
don't go with the first person that comes on. And that sounds simple, but, but what happens is we go to network events and we meet somebody and we go, oh yeah, great, I love them. Oh yeah, that's what I want, without realizing there's lots of different niches out there looking for marketing, there's lots of different niches for podcasting. Is the person that is offering you to do marketing support or podcasting support, is it, are their values aligned with you? What's their real experience? How does that line up with, with what you do and your niche? So I think it's it's not about the traditional beating people up and, and you know going, oh, can you get it lower? Can you get it lower? For me, it's about being really clear about what your requirements are and then going out and finding out a few people that can assess against that criteria. So once you've got criteria, then you can say, well, okay, so I want this person to have an experience in this. I want them to be um, to be able to respond in 48 hours. Um, I need them to be able to do this, 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 and this. And then it's much easier for you to, to go to a few people and say, right, can you tell me what your service includes? Do you do this, this, and this? What experience have you got? Can I speak to some, you know, some recommendations? And you're going to get a much better idea of whether they're a good fit for you or not. Excellent. So I think it's the, it, I don't know, would anybody go out and buy a car without doing that? Personally, would anybody go out and buy a sofa quite often? If you think about some of the bigger purchases for our houses, we'll walk around, sit on the mattresses. We might, oh, I don't like that one. We'll go to a different shop. And yet sometimes when we go to a networking event, we'll go, oh, yeah, 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 we'll deal with I'll, I'll get that person. Um, so I think it's that. I think it's just remembering that just because somebody says they can do something, you may not have the same understanding about what that something means. So their marketing and your marketing may very, very they be very different. And they may not understand your market either. So if, if I think about, um, look on LinkedIn, everybody's niche, so you've got a lot of coaches uh, or a lot of PAs, and some of those PAs are saying, I'm a PA to coaches because I understand how coaches work. Or some are even, I'm PAs to coaches who work with women. Now that's, you're going to get a very different service from a PA that's used to that than if, you know, the PA, the PA is just used to working in business settings and hasn't ever dealt with a coach. Mm, yeah, excellent. And just with the podcasting, because you're probably, I mean, I get bombarded with people trying to promote my show and I, I no bots genuinely, you know, they have their cut. It's like a cut and paste. And like the, the sites like uh, Fiverr that basically they don't get paid till the job is done. And that's brilliant for a lot of services because there's so many people out there that are fraudulent and they're basically promising the York moon is there. And when you can say, hey, you didn't move the needle here, it's all a lie, then at least they don't get paid. I know there's the admin side of actually resolving that, but sometimes all these people contacting you, no matter what the service is, people just hand over, just assuming it's going to get done. And that, that's the last they'll hear from them. Yeah, so no, true. Yeah, yeah, don't pay, don't pay until the work's done. I think the other thing as well, though, is that we can get quite mean as, as small business owners and go, I'm not paying that. And yet, 
I, I quite often, if I catch myself going to, oh, I'm not sure about that. Go on a minute, what do I get paid? How many hours of their time do I think that's going to take them? All right. Actually, how mean am I if I start going, oh, no, I don't want that to be £50 an hour. I want it to be £40 an hour. Yeah. So I tend to not get mean as well, but I've always been a bit like that with um, procurement or organisations. So I don't tend to get involved in buying the things where it is about um, price negotiation because it's a competitive market and therefore it can you can afford to swap and change suppliers and therefore it is about... Can you do it cheaper than they can? Mm. Um, I tend to do it about things where it is about the quality of things, so you can afford to go. I'm paying more for this supplier because of the quality of service they're giving me. They're, they're more able to match what I want. Yeah, I remember when I was uh, working in Ireland that I would, if it was a tight job, because in construction sometimes you're going in at minus, so I would be very competitive. But when there's extras, I wouldn't be squeezing them. And then if there was another job, and I knew they looked after me for a few, if there was another job and I knew there was money in it, because sometimes there is, then I'd actually be, and it tends that I was getting better results than the people that was that was their core job. And I was a you know, contracts manager, so I was actually running the project. But I think sometimes people fail that they just squeeze the penny the whole time and just think, ah, sure, there's 10 others I can just go to. But eventually a lot of these people they're actually friends as well you know they go to different, the same kind of events when they're meeting and they kind of talk so sometimes you're burning the bridge when you think you're actually getting a fantastic deal yeah one of the things i quite often you know, on um, mental health at week work well no mental health at work week <laughs> sorry all right um is sort of said to people you know what about your suppliers mental health because you know there's organizations that talk about we're doing this for for our, you know, for our, our employees, mental health, and then he goes, but what are you doing about your suppliers? Oh, what's, what's, what's their, what's their mental health got to do with us? Quite often is a response, so I get quite, <laughs> yeah, I'll get on my little hobby horse. <laughs> um, so yeah, so on supplier management workshops I've done, quite often I might, I think I, I was doing one workshop where, um, where it was Mental Health Awareness Week or something. So I absolutely purposefully had um, an agenda item about mental health as flowers. No, brilliant. And nobody, I... nobody came back and said, why did you have that answer? But uh, it wasn't on what the client had asked me to include, let's put it that way. <laughs> but it felt relevant, you know, so it was sort of timely... Get away with things like that. I think it's time. It's like, you know what? It's Mental Health Awareness Week. We're all talking about it. So let's apply it to the subject we're talking Brilliant. So I've seen on your uh, LinkedIn the kind of landscape picture that you have in the background. You've got a lovely graphic there, and it's kind of it's I it's, it's kind of like a lot of the things that you're doing, you know, stories and poetry, NLP. And my you might talk to me about that, like because it's actually a, a lovely graphic. Yeah, the it was basically, I mean, I've always looked for trying to do acronyms. And and it was just when I looked at all of the tools, so yeah, landscape, uh, each of them stands for a different tool that I use. Um, so um, yeah, so one of the A's is uh, analogy and metaphor. Another of the A's is, um, oh, what's it called? Um, it's about being obscure. I can't think what the word is now. Um, Oh, 
What's that to say? The anyway, it'll come back to me. Um, but it's all about, it's about the being obscure, coming at things from a really different angle. So it was just the fact that I'm just as likely to add in poetry and uh, stories to, so on my LinkedIn um, profile, then there's a, instead of a sales pitch, there's a, there's a poem on it that explains where I take people from. It's called from um, not knowing to knowing what to do. So that's the journey I take people. And I've just done a story that also, or a poem, that also gets over the fact that we're doing it in a slightly different way. So it's not, we're not, don't, don't expect the conventional, but I think there's also something, don't expect the conventional because the conventional hasn't, hasn't enabled you to shift perspective. So all of the tools I've got, whether it's drawing, whether it's yeah, NLP and language, um, it's, it's all about getting people to shift perspective. So I must admit the Ian landscape ended up being empowering and, and perspective because it was about, it's all about empowering the, the individual to, to take responsibility and realize they've got the answer within. And all the rest of the landscape tools are just a mechanism for helping you unlock the answer because you've got the answer. The answer's sort of behind a door and logic is trying to protect you and quite often you say, look, I've tried, you know, everybody else is to blame. This is, this is the situation. I am stuck. I know I'm stuck. And logic will defend quite often the validity of why we're saying we're stuck. So what every bit of data that we give about that person's a pain in the whatever, and, you know, I've tried everything and I can't possibly do anything else. The more we say that, the more we're reaffirming that we're stuck. So every one of the tools in the landscape toolkit is just a way of a key that unlocks the, it, your mind to be able to find the solution. Because you do have the answer. It's just, you know, I suppose you, your mind is closed to finding those answers. Very good. And like with the poetry, because unfortunately I had a bad experience with my English teachers when I went to a Christian brother school and like we used to call your man Batman because he used to have the cloak and he'd be walking, but he used to make us learn a poem or two a night. And then if you didn't, weren't able to write it out, you had to do it like a hundred times. And it just made everybody hate poetry, which is a shame. And I just like your poetry journey and how you're kind of applying it as well in more deeper than what you just mentioned. Yeah, really interesting because I think both the shorts, I started with short stories and then got into poetry. But they're all done originally for my own personal development. So I'm, I, I am very resistant. So I am that person I've just described as being very resistant to new ideas. If somebody comes and says, oh, this is what you need to do. But if you give me a metaphor, I'll shift perspective much more easily. So when I'm stuck, metaphor will always get me unstuck. So writing a story was always a, you know, so there was a lady in a castle. But it's quite a, a now, you know, um, not difficult to go, oh, Alison's the one in the castle, you know. Um, and that's the same with the poems, really, that, that they just enable me. When I sit down with a pen in hand, and it is a pen in hand for both, for both the stories and the poems, so the, so the so it is really interesting that it isn't a sit at my computer and write. 
So there's something about when I'm ha handwriting them, that by writing a story or writing a poem, going, okay, this is how I'm feeling at the moment, what story might that be? If that story is about a stone falling over, or if it's about a poppy and the seeds, you know, um, so, or if it's a poem about, um, just think what else the poem, oh, there's one about, this, I've done quite a lot about nature. And so it's about the tide, facing the tide. It's just as if I'm able to give myself advice that I wouldn't listen to if I was doing it logically. What I then discovered when I shared the, the poems was that they resonated for other people and therefore they could get insight. It wasn't always the same insight as I get. So I've, I've done a, path, a Paths and Destinations poem and I've done a number of workshops using it. And it's, a, and it's brilliant at helping people who, who have got a goal and they're not achieving the goal and, it, and it, to explore the different paths they may be on that are either paths and destinations. But every time I do it, people will see completely different things in the poem than me. So I wrote it for me, but I have to be able to let it go on for other people to get completely different things from it in those words, but the words were written. They're not poems as much as cathartic downpourings of this is where my head's at on this subject. And I think that's why they resonate, because they resonate because they're not a they're not poem in the sort of the sense that we were taught it at school necessarily. And they certainly don't rhyme. So there are certain poems that I've got a friend who's a poet and she just writes really brilliant poems poems that might just be about a wood and I'd never write a poem just about a wood it would always be about what's the problem and how can I apply the wood to the problem <laughs> so I'm always coming at it from what's the how can we get inside excellent and just inside from the chasing the tides so the chasing tide poem made me realize that it is the futility really of of impatience because when we're chasing the tide, it's, we, we move forward and the tide moves as well. So we're never going to get there. So, so there's an element of we are our own wave. Our time will come. So no, don't try and keep chasing the, the wave in front of you. Stick with your wave and your time will come because every wave has its time. And then at the end of the poem, I go, but at the end of the day, I'm the water, I'm not the wave. And then that all gets a bit spiritual and a bit, oh my God, that's a bit weird. But, um, but yeah, I think that's calmed people down. So quite often in coaching sessions, what I find is somebody might say something and I'll go, oh, and it'll be, it might be a poem I wrote 18 months ago, but it resonates with whatever the topic is they're talking about. And then, oh, oh, in fact, I, did, I had a coaching session the other week. I'd written a poem the day before. And I said, oh, well, I wrote this poem yesterday. Let, let me see what you think. And the bit that threw me was it was quite a long poem in my head. And she'd only heard it the once. And yet, throughout the rest of the coaching session, she's repeating back to me some of my own words from the poem. And yet I can't remember the poem, you know, word for word. But she was quoting it back because those particular words resonated. Excellent. And just curious, do you ever write your poetry in nature? 
Yeah, oh, okay. Real question. Most of the poetry these days gets done in nature. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, in the same way as that, I found that doing my podcast, it's pointlessly sitting at my desk because it's just, it's just a whole load of logic comes out, really. So I'm much better off. So tomorrow I'm doing um, a couple of podcast episodes. And yeah, it's nice weather, so I will go out. Um, and while I'm there, I may very well sit down and write a poem. Um, there's a few places where I really love. So St. Andrew's Beach, I'll go and sit right in the middle of the beach um, on a chair and write. So yeah, the I've learned not to even try to do it at home. I mean, I can do it at home, but I just feel that once I get out in nature, I, I don't do lots of takes either, either on the podcast or, um, I mean, if I have a coffee stick, then I, mean, I might stop and do the last sentence again. But even on poems, they sort of get written in one go. And I, so I'll do a sentence. I have to say it out loud. I have to say it out loud to, the, to nature, it feels. And then I can get a sense of one of those words need ch changing around. And then I'll do the next sentence, and then I'll have to repeat the first two sentences, and then, and then the next sentence will emerge. But by the time I get to the end of it, that's it, done and dusted. There will be no changes thereafter. They will all be made in the moment. But yeah, definitely at the top of a cliff, um, in the middle of a beach, or in the middle of a um, wood. For my three favourite places, you know, I can think of where they are. Um, they're all within an hour's drive of here. There's another one that's about an hour and a half away. That's a bit, but but and actually thinking about it, they're my favourite places for writing poetry. They're my favourite places for going and doing podcast episodes. They're all the places. Well, one of them's new, but the other three were places where I went and wrote my book. So yeah. And I don't think people realize like solo casts are very hard to do. And like I, I normally just do it for kind of the first episode of each podcast. But there's a, a friend of mine, Mind Wars, and he does a kind of walk and talk, but he doesn't like it in the studio. He he prefers. Mm -hmm. And then he does the editing later. He puts up the picture of what he's talking. But I think you feel like you're talking to somebody when you're in nature, as opposed to in the room. It's like with the computer just sitting in front of you, it just feels, yeah. Yeah, I had to do, um, I had to do a, um, a recording of a training session without an audience for a client because after March or whenever, they, were, um, they weren't wanting us to do it. They were wanting people to just watch the video. And, oh, God, it's horrible because I'm sitting in, the, in here talking for an hour. Whereas, right, I don't, I'm not aware of what I'm saying necessarily when I'm out in nature. It's just coming. And then I listen to it when I get back to the office and go, oh, that because I can convince myself, oh, God, that was, I'm going to have to redo that. Oh, that was useless. And then I listen to it and go, no, that was all right, actually. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then when I'm here, I just have to do the, you know, a little bit of the, today, this is what I'm talking about. But, um, yeah, that, I'm on my third series of podcasts. First one was a lot smaller bits very little out in nature. Second series was out in nature, but using saying. So it's, you know, 
Today we're talking about being at a crossroads, or today we're talking about going around, uh, turning a corner, or today we're, I don't know, putting the stick down you've been beating yourself up with, and then I'll, um, oh, the one that somebody left me a, um, a review about was uh, enjoying the one where it was um, uh, treading water, because I took the podcast into the water with me, because I swim here in Scotland. And so the podcast episode is me with, I mean, I don't actually know now how I did it, but because I'm there with my phone in the water, treading water, talking, and I'm doing a podcast at the same time. But apparently the, the, the review said, well, I was in the water with her, I could feel the cold, because literally I'm going, oh, my God, it's cold. <laughs> so... But that's part of it, really. That's the, that's the immersive, if we're treading water, because I always think our language helps. So if our language, if we're saying, I feel like I'm treading water, I feel like I'm going around in circles, I'll go, let's mine, let's look at that uh, saying. So, yeah, if you were really treading water, what would you do? Mm -hmm. Well, put my feet down, or I'd float. Or, so, so I think at one point, I float, but... But at that point, some of my uh, neck hadn't been in water. So when you float, of course, you suddenly do put more of your body in the cold water. So I think at that point, I go, <laughs> uh, yeah. absurdity. I thought it now, that's the absurdity. A, see, the reason I couldn't think of the A was the, uh, the, the second A in my landscape uh, stands for absurdity. And uh, people can think, what? It's absurd her going into the uh, first or fourth to do a, a, a podcast. But for me, if you're really resonating with feeling like you're treading water, then hearing me go through the motions of that is going to shift your perspective about that situation. Thing is, is that if it doesn't, if you don't relate to that saying, don't bother listening to the episode because, in some respects, you'd be going, "This is absurd." And I'm not going to listen again because what on earth is she talking about? So you do need to pick the the um, episodes that resonate with how you're thinking because then the, the metaphor works for you. Okay, excellent. And with the NLP and mindset, then is that something that you've just kind of self-studied, or did you do some NLP course? Um, oh, dearie, dearie. I um, I, in fact, we're coming up for the for the um, anniversary, so this will be 23 years. Um. In, in sort of March, April, and um, yeah, so I did, a, I did an NLP um, diploma, which was four days, and then, oh my God, this is fantastic. And so I did the 20 day pr uh, practitioner. Then I did the 20 day master practitioner at the same time as supporting on a practitioner. So, and then I went and did the trainer training. So by the time we finished, I'd done say 70 days of studying as in in a room with the trainers i've done another 70 days of support for practitioners master practitioners so doing it again but you know as the helper um and yeah never looked back really because for me it just opened my mind up to the power of my mind really. and and loads of all you know tools that support when the mind's not quite playing with so when the mind can either get in the way of finding solutions or 
is not clearly very resourceful, and there's a whole load of tools there. But for me, it was very much the ones I've taken have been the language and the metaphor as much as anything. Okay. And uh, with your book, then, um, it's uh, Can't See the Wood from the Tree. You might let me know exactly what you're covering in that. Yeah, in, in Can't See the Wood for the Trees, the premise is if you are stuck and you resonate with Can't See the Wood for the Trees, stuck in a rut, going around in circles, like a fish out of water, there's a couple of them in there that normally we don't self-identify with and other people would. One is head in the sand and the other is making mountains out of molehills. But the premise of the book is, if you can't see the wood for the trees, and you're saying, I can't see the wood for the trees about this situation, at one level, on the logical level, on the conscious level, you're going, I, I, there are no options. But the fact that you can say, there's a metaphor here that has a wood and, a, and, a, you know, and trees, you can ask questions of your mind about that wood and the tree. So what would you do in a real wood? Oh, I'd follow a path out, I'd climb a tree, I'd go to higher ground. Um, you can find, you can come up with, and then over the 23 years that I've been using this particular, um, this thought of the trees, I'd say that there's hundreds of solutions. But once you've got hundreds of metaphorical solutions, if you go back to the original situation and say, so which of those can you apply to your situation? Nobody's ever going to turn around and say none of them. Oh, actually, yeah, I need to get to higher ground. I need to. I need that vantage point to see what's going on. I did it once with somebody. I was in Scotland in my office, and they were walking around um, Florida. And so there was gators, high, uh, alligators in the actual water. But when I asked them, then all I can then do is be the sort of guide as they're walking around and I can't always see what they can see. And I said, well, this wood that you can't see for the, for the trees, where do you want to be? And quite often, when you can't see the wood for the trees, you don't want to be in the wood, but you're allowing the trees to be a distraction. Because he, because the, the person turned around and said, I just want to be the other side of the wood. And so their action was, all right, no, I need to be more focused, less distracted. I know what I want to do with my business. And I'm allowing all these shiny new things to come along and distract me. And it's like I'm in the wood and every path that I pass, I wonder whether that path will take me to a better destination. But at the end of the day, I know where I want to go. So I just need to stick to my path and not allow any destinations so, and any distractions. So it's it's amazing when we're stuck that we use we use metaphor all the time. And I would just say and that's and that's what each of the chapters do. So if if you can't see the wood for the trees, there's a chapter that, that invites you to do a number of different things, one of which may very well help, or all of them may help, but there's a number of different tools and techniques within each chapter that helps you dependent on, you know, oh, up a creek without a paddle is another expert saying, the treading water's in there, in at the deep end, out on a limb. So there's about seven or eight chapters, each with a different saying, and then the, each chapter. So you don't need, there's a part one that, that is great for coaches or speakers that would enable them to understand how to use uh, the tools and techniques. 
But the second half is just, I'm feeling like this. You know, let's read a story of how, how somebody else has applied it, and then let's look at various different tools and techniques that you can apply when you are. So, for instance, if you feel like you're going around in circles, and it sounds so absurd on one hand, and it's simple, which is draw the circle. I thought you were going to say get off the roundabout, you know. Yeah, well, no, I mean, well, you do do that, to be fair. So it's draw the circle. Because at one level, your brain can draw the circle you feel like you're going in. And that circle will have a speed, and it will have a size, and it will have a direction. And so you can replicate the circling you're doing in life on paper. And as soon as you replicate it on paper, then you can say, right, I want to make changes to this circling. So you can go quicker, you can go in a different direction, you can do bigger or smaller, or go round in squares or triangles. And at some point, and this is different for everybody, something shifts inside because what you've done is shifted the circling in your in, in your mindset that represented the situation, and you've got out of it, so you've come off the roundabout. So it could be that it's oh, I don't drawing these circles. I've never seen, I've never noticed all of the different exits off the roundabout. How many exits are there? I think that's a gorgeous question. You know, oh, okay, oh, well, I just, well, there's 10 exits off this circle, but I'm not sure which one to do. We'll try one. I had one person, when we were talking about circling, who said, when they were drawing the circling, they went, oh, I'm just circling the moon. Now, absurdity or what? But to them that made that made sense. And they said, Oh, I just I just need to I need to use and this is where the science I don't know, but I need to use the um the moon to sort of push me back to earth again. And so they drew going around the moon, so they put a, a moon that they were circling around, and then they drew a picture of the earth, and so they circled the moon and then they used moon's gravity or whoever's earth's gravity to get back to earth and then it just felt different and as soon as you feel different i i maintain you've opened doors in your mind and then you can see the solutions that, that even 10 minutes ago before you started drawing it so so another one i'll tell you because i enjoy it <laughs> and there's a brilliant video blog of me doing this um well i think it's brilliant but and i giggle away um, is if you feel like you're if you're beating yourself up about anything, so it's like oh, it's the stick. Up. I need to put the stick down. I'm beating myself up with is the phrase certainly here in the UK. So it's okay. So go out into a wood and pick up sticks and then put them down. Because what I laugh, what what I giggle about is that I imagine when I said I'm going to go and pick a stick up and I'm putting, I'm going to imagine I'm putting the stick down that I would, you know. It's imaginary beating yourself up with. But there wasn't just one stick. And so there was there was there were four or five sticks, and there was a big stick, and there was little sticks. And I was laughing. Oh my god, I don't just beat myself up. I've got different things I beat myself up for. But what I realized just embodying that beating myself up with a stick was I'm the one that's picking the stick up. There is no stick in my hand to beat myself up with unless I pick the stick up. Which was huge, huge revelation that 
that when we're beating ourselves up with that stick, it's all us. It's all in our minds. We're the ones that have, that have given ourselves, you know, all of that ammunition. And so we have the power to put that stick there. So I have, you know, clients who have done that, who even now, years later, will say, I catch myself, oh, I'm just about to beat myself up, I need to put the stick there. Because it's just a powerful metaphor. And that's why they work. Because we're not getting drawn into, oh, but I am overweight and I should really lose weight and I shouldn't eat those crisps and that chocolate or whatever else. Or, oh, I'm not doing that exercise. I'm sitting at my computer desk, you know, doing podcasts or whatever. And, um, and, and so therefore, we can come up with all the justification about why I'm sitting here working or whatever. Whereas the metaphor is, you know what, I just need to stop beating myself up there. A lot of people yeah, so with their to-do lists, they actually beat themselves up. You know, they have a big, huge list that would take, a, you know, a tribe of people to actually get it done. And then they're beating themselves up because they've, you know, overstretched. And what I kind of say to people is have a what I've done list. And that gives you more energy and you feel a lot better than, you know, you're crossing off a few things and you're looking at a page, a big page. And out comes the stick. Like, Yeah, the, the, um, the interesting one about that activities quite often people will say i've got i'm spinning too many plates or i'm juggling too many balls and again i've i've explored that in a blog about so what what's the solution what would the solution be if we were trying to spin too many plates and the answer there is to have a plate rack because you need to put the you need to put the plates on the plate rack. um and, and then juggling balls, again, one of the solutions ends up being Velcro on the spinning balls, because then you can sort of put them on a Velcro board. And what we felt was, both from the plates rack and the Velcro board for the balls, was it meant that when people come to give you work, they've got visibility of what other work you've got. Oh, they've already got too many balls, I don't want to give them another ball because it's too much. So there was something about on that, on that day, when we were having a conversation about too much work, the solution for them was making it much more easy for their boss and other people who were giving them work to have visibility of what was in the plan currently, what the deadlines were. Therefore, if you give me more work now, actually, it isn't going to get looked at for another 10 days or whatever. Um, and that's the power of metaphor, that next time somebody coming to it would be, I just need to get better at juggling. Or... Yeah, I just need to not try and catch that fourth ball. I can I can do three balls. Why am I even saying yes to the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh ball? Mm -hmm. I'm setting myself up to fail because I cannot, you know, nobody can, well, I don't know, perhaps there are people that can uh, juggle seven balls, but you've got to throw them up high up in, up in the air to get seven, you know? Yeah, no, brilliant. And with the book then, did you self-publish or have you a publisher? No. You know, that was an interesting one. I've tried, I've tried various um, publishing houses and then approached Findhorn, who were very much aligned with nature. And so it actually come as no surprise to me that um, Findhorn Publishing said yes to um, publishing it. They, they then um, changed and, and it, they were bought out by an organisation in the States. But um, initially, it is still under the Findhorn Press. So, um, yeah, I didn't have to do any of that. Whereas the subsequent one, I've done one, uh, Your Prescription for Wellbeing, 
Um, and I've self-published that via, um, well, I wouldn't even say it's self-published. I've done it via Amazon, such that they all print copies. Print on demand, yeah. yeah. It ain't as easy as they say. I don't know about with you, but I, I've done a planner. I have a lot of books in the pipeline. And I actually had to get somebody to put up. And we are doing it in different languages. And they were giving us different criteria, even though she was uploading the exact same thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like, but uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, handy. Just... You know, it keeps your costs down that you don't have to buy, you know, a load of books and then hope to sell, as well as the actual admin of posting them and everything. I mean, I didn't want to go down that route. No, I mean, I ended up I ended up getting a some printed so that, you know, I could take them to workshops and give them to coaching clients. And then for anybody else, you're out. Can get. I, I know the beauty about Amazon. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are other organisations that do it, but but the beauty about Amazon is they're worldwide anyway. So as soon as you've got it on there, you write from a languaging point of view, but anywhere I can get my English version of my prescription for well-being, wherever they are in the world. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, so, so that's the beauty of, pod, you know, from podcasts, knowing that somebody can get it. Whereas even with a can't see the wood for the trees, they can get it, but I suspect sometimes it'll be being shipped from somewhere currently. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're in the UK, you can definitely get you know, can't see the wood for the trees from any of your normal online bookstockers. Um, yeah. And I, mean, I, I see. Think you would in America, but, you know, in Australia, you might have to wait for it to come from either in, in, in Australia, from America or England. Yeah, yeah. And I see you've got a beautiful bookshelf behind you, so I just, uh, any books that you'd recommend, because uh, I love reading myself, and uh, oh. I assume... Uh, that's interesting. You see, the one that I've gone to is the one, because I do some mental health training, the one that I'm going to is the one that I more than often and not um, uh, yeah, recommend for mental health. Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. Um, because it is about that not trying to set yourself up to fail really small changes and also celebrating success. So at the end, back of the book, there's a hundred different ways of how to celebrate success because it's getting into your mindset that, oh, when I do this, I, I feel good because I celebrate it. Because sometimes new habits don't ever become, you know, successful long-term habits because we try, we try to bite off too much initially. Or we didn't give ourselves the pat on the back when we did it the first time. And our brain then doesn't associate that activity with with feel good, you know, feel good. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we, you know, if we do, oh, I'm just going to do five plank. Don't try and do 20 plank the first time. Just going to do five, you know, I don't know, sorry, five. It's not five plank. Let's do it. Let's think. Just do 30 seconds or 10 seconds of plank and then that's it. I'm not even going to try and do more than that. And for a week, I'm going to do 10 seconds of it. You know, or 20 seconds, whatever it is, it's still a stretch, but not, you know, oh, I've done it every day for the last 20 days, great. Now I'm going to go up to, the, you know, 15 seconds. But I'm going to celebrate when I do it for the 10 seconds. I'm not going to wait until I, oh, I'm only going to be happy once I get up to a minute. So that would be one. And um, the other book that I listen to on audio, audio book, um, so I don't know how it reads, if that makes sense. But on the basis, he was reading it. But it sounded like a conversation. I think he was the one that said, 
um, I might go off script a bit. So I'm reading, I'm reading my book, but there's other new stuff that's come in. So I'm going to add that in to the audio, which I thought was brilliant. Um, Stolen Focus. I, I, yeah, it's a very good book. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. It's just frightening. I'm completely and utterly frightening about that he, he's, um, I'm not normally into loads of theory because my work is much more experiential. I've done this with hundreds of people and it's worked. Whereas his is, I'm going to go out and talk to a hundred people and get all of the evidence. But yeah, it's just frightening. He's actually a brilliant author. What happened is I got chased into scream by him first and I loved it so much that I just checked and he had two other books and I'm it, it nearly finished that one now that that you've there and there's another one as well and I just like his style and you know he's kind of coming it from an open perspective he's not pushing his you know belief system which a lot of them do he's just kind of going well this is what I'm after finding out and you know exposing a lot of the corruption going on in a nice way yeah the, um, I think a lot of the, a lot of the books that I end up reading come off the back of listening to Rangan Chatterjee's um, Feel Better Live More, or perhaps it's the other way around, I can't remember which way around it is, Feel Better Live More uh, podcast, because he he's interviewing more and more authors and does very long podcasts. So the interviews are very rarely less than an hour and a half, quite often a year or two. And you get a real sense of the individual and what their book's about to know then, oh, that's the book for me, I'll go and... So just uh, finally, because I always like to ask uh, my guests about the social media because uh, it's a minefield and I know you're on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube and I've seen you doing the planking. You were able to talk while you were doing a minute plank, which I don't think I could do. I was impressed with that. And you were doing another one where you're boxing with your trainer. So your videos are very interesting. But I mean, like, uh, like I, I find it hitting Mitch with YouTube, some of them. It doesn't get the interaction it should, and there's other ones that they take off, and it's it's a shame how they are in control. No, I don't. You see, I don't worry about numbers. And that, that I mean, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm sure there's some metaphor I could do that would enable me to be more worried about numbers. But quite often, even with a podcast, because or even blogging, if I look at the blogs that I've written, the video blogs I've done, the podcasts I've done. They are all things that I know that I will send clients to look at. So for me, they're there. It's just my library that I, that I make available more broadly. That I can then say to somebody, oh, this might help, either. Mm. And yes, of course I have a vision at some point of it getting bigger than that. But the fact that it isn't, I don't particularly get upset about yeah, you can. I mean, my crypto one, my speaking podcast, I created everything with me. They just, nothing happens with them sometimes, but I don't care. It's just kind of, I think sometimes the right person will find it when they need it. And then sometimes yeah. something just, you know, you, you see a few views on some and then another one can get thousands. And it's just, it is what it is. But yeah, I don't beat myself up about it either. Just kinda... Yeah, the plank one. I mean, I think, I think the um, video blogs I've done whilst personal training, again, is the, I'm outside, you know, because we do most of the personal training outside. And so the personal trainer has just <coughs> personal trainer has just got used to being the cameraman. Now, that's because they're never more than about, well, I think that's the longest. That's about a minute. But no, and I only ever do one take. So it's, oh, I've got an idea. 
I've got an idea for a video blog. And I said to him, well, why did you let him get away with it? Why didn't you just say, no, I want you to do, you know, do another plan? Because you get so much enjoyment from it. And personal training for me is as much about my you know, mental health as physical health. So for him, he knows that I've just enjoyed that. And you're right. It was, um, I said, oh, I've got a really good idea. I'll do a plank. You know, video me while I'm doing the plank. But it was nearly a minute of plank and talking. But, um, yeah. And then, unfortunately, that then means that he turns around to me and said, see, you can do it. <laughs> I just walked into that one because yeah. uh, I'll do things definitely for the bot for the video blog or for the podcast. But yeah, set me up for him to go. Well, you could do it then, so you can do it here as well. Brilliant. Listen, Alison, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. You might let people know how they can get in contact with you. Uh, there's a few hours of Smiths around, so you're much better looking for landscaping your life because there's not many landscaping your life. So landscaping your life on LinkedIn, landscaping your life on uh, YouTube, landscaping your life is the name of the podcast. So landscape, uh, landscaping your life, if you go to Amazon, will find the book as well. So landscaping your life is the best means of finding me because and if you add in Alison, uh, even better. But um, yeah, you'll find me that way is the better way because Alison Smith. No, no. <laughs> okay, no, perfect. I'll make sure that I'll put uh, all the links, podcast, oh, the book it. on both the audio and the video. Thank you very much, Alison. All right. Thank you. No problem. So that's all for the Speaking Podcast. As mentioned, you find other episodes on speakingpodcast.com, from the chat on YouTube, and my four other podcasts, along with my coaching, you find that bio.link forward slash podcast. Be sure to give us a thumbs up. Five-star rating, share with your friends, really helps. And make sure that you give Alison a five-star rating as well. Get her up the charts, it helps. And if you buy her book, make sure you give her a five-star rating. So until next week, take care.